Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show. Uh, usually we talk about some what we've been watching and get on into an in-depth review. This week we're just going to be doing an in-depth review of John Wick Chapter 3. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. I do want to read some emails before we get into our review of John Wick Chapter 3. Uh, and uh, these emails in particular are in response to our review last week in episode 517 of Detective Pikachu. Now, we will not be spoiling Detective Pikachu in these emails, uh, but these emails will contain references to the premise of Detective Pikachu. And in last week's episode, we talked about Detective Pikachu. And Jeff Kanata, you and I particularly mused about uh, what is going on with these Pokemon. Specifically, are they like slaves to the humans? And if so, is fighting them uh, with each other, like letting them fight against each other, akin to like... Uh, dog fighting, in which case everyone in the, right. the Pokemon universe is, is like monsters. They're just like terrible people, right? Yeah, the, the the premise of the movie is that there's a place where they that doesn't happen, but the implication is that everywhere else, that's what's happening. So if there's a place where that doesn't happen, where they're treated as equals, uh, shouldn't that be a red flag for everybody else? <laughs> that's, Indeed. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Maddie from Boston writes in, to slashfilmcast.gmail.com, he, he writes, quote, uh, This is a great episode. I've recently been going through your backlog and also listening to Dave's Game of Thrones podcast, and I've noticed that a lot of people write into you after an episode to comment on a mistake you made in an episode. And I'm always like, who are these people that care so much to write an email in response to something that's already gone out? Well, apparently this week, I am these people. I was absolutely <laughs> mortified in this week's episode when Devinder rolled over and let Dave and Jeff compare Pokemon battling to hunting for sport uh, and then to dogfighting. Obviously, I'm being hyperbolic, and this is all in good faith. I absolutely love your podcast and don't object to disagreements and opinions, but I figured I'd yell into the wind anyways, because apparently this is the hill I'm willing to die on. Lots of great metaphors here, Maddie. Uh, Pokemon and humans are partners. It's not a slave and master thing, and trainers cannot make Pokemon battle if they do not want to. There are many examples in the show that show Pokemon who refuse to battle. There's also a mechanic in the game where if you aren't a good enough trainer, stronger Pokemon will simply disobey in battle. The whole idea is that it's a two-way relationship between the Pokemon and the trainer. I compare it closer to the relationship of a coach and an athlete than to dogfighting. If anything, it's like MMA fighting, which may not be that much better, but it's not tricking an animal into fighting for its life. <laughs> and of course, the Pokemon greatly benefits from being with the trainer, too. They get food, shelter, family, free health care, etc. Obviously, there are people who will abuse Pokemon. You just Pokemon. have to fight for it. Yeah, yeah you just have to fight them at death. <laughs> Obviously, there are people who will abuse everybody, everybody wants to fight in the Thunderdome. They love coming to the Thunderdome. You know what is not in the Thunderdome? Uh, a, a, a desolate wasteland where you have to uh, kill for fuel. The Thunderdome <laughs> is a great place. Cer certainly the arrangement where somebody performs slave labor for, in exchange for food and shelter is not something that has any antecedent in, in, in human history. <laughs> um, certainly that's not an extremely upsetting arrangement that's ever occurred before. Indeed. Um, but anyway. In I, I don't know if you guys know this, by the way, but in the original Pokemon movie, uh, Pikachu also died. Like... Things get dark. That was a cartoon for kids. Yeah. yeah it, so it, it is almost exactly like MMA. Yeah. Because I know all the Pokemon are, are very well paid and uh, <laughs> have independence <laughs> outside their oh wait. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, Maddie, Maddie, who's in the chat room right now, by the way, as we're broadcasting right now, Maddie writes in in general, battling is a mutual understanding between two species that are capable of advanced thought. I think a more interesting rabbit hole to go down is thinking about how Tim Goodman, one of the main characters, works in insurance. Insurance has to be a travesty in the Pokemon world. Exploding ducks, dragons that breathe fire, Pokemon that can cause psychic explosions. There's a Pokemon that literally has scythes for hands. There's another Pokemon that puts children to sleep and eats their dreams. How do you insure anyone? <laughs> Living in the Pokemon, uh, Pokemon world is a never-ending nightmare of potential Final Destination deaths. Anyway, love the episode, love the podcast, and I love Detective Pikachu. Thanks, guys. End quote. So that comes in from this is Maddie. Yeah. Top ten all time emails as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Because I it didn't even occur to me to go down this avenue and it is it is ripe. It is ripe for for, for juicy <laughs> details. Yeah. Or insurance people in the Pokemon universe, that has got to be a rough job. Or at least the premiums are got to be just astronomical. If, know? Anything, yeah. if anything, I think that the movie Detective Pikachu really undersells 
how cruel and brutal this universe is, right? <laughs> yes. Like, because theoretically with these uh, creatures that have superpowers, uh, you got to think there's collateral damage, deaths, uh, potentially even murders happening on a pretty regular basis. I mean, and there's a character th- th- who literally walks around with a ticking time bomb all the time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it if you if you would startle it, if it gets too stressed out, it will explode, and that's just what she hangs out with all the time. Okay, not literally a ticking time bomb. Then I, I, thought, <laughs> I, I, I was like, did I miss it? Did I miss quack. the ticking time bomb character? It was quack. I mean, quack. literally, yeah, it is a ticking time bomb. But yeah, 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 it's metaphorically a ticking time bomb, John. Oh man, but, how, but how much time you murder... would you spend settling this? Dave? The way you murder limericks, this doesn't surprise me though. Um, <laughs> So Mostly, it kind of reminds me of uh, Powerless, that uh, short-lived NBC show about uh, superhero insurance. It was set in the DC mm-hmm. universe with like uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's cousin or something. It was mm-hmm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, insurance would be pretty unworkable. Uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty bummed we don't get to see any of Tim Goodman's job. Right? Like, what is his daily life like? That's that's a movie right yeah. there. Uh, that would show that the the Pokemon universe is indeed extremely interesting. In one way, you would imagine it to be a nightmare job, and in another way, the insurance <laughs> sells itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you gotta have it. The the this universe is fraught with peril. It, you know, it's like you gotta. <laughs> you're everyone's walking around with with <laughs> massive weaponry uh, in the form of volatile emotional creatures so you know, yeah I, I once was at a casino uh playing poker and i you know struck up a conversation with the guy next to me and I, I you know i asked him like what do you do for a living and he said that he worked for a company that insured insurance companies right that huh. like like, that, like sometimes like a who like watches a, the watchman that's right like like or like a mass casualty event or something like that like could or like a huge earthquake or something could theoretically uh deplete completely the uh, cash reserves of like many insurance companies and so like if if like like millions of people filed a claim at once right like that would be disastrous for many companies and so this guy uh insured the insurance companies and so i I imagine in the pokemon universe that uh that guy would also be doing pretty well so uh, (laughs) yeah anyway so that comes in from Maddie. Uh, you can always write into sliceformcast.gmail.com. Jenny from Texas also wrote into sliceformcast.gmail.com. Uh, Jenny writes in, uh, long-time listener, wanted to write in after, real quick after listening to your Detective Pikachu review. The most popular theory on why Pokemon fight is because they like to fight and wish to evolve. For the most part, the only way to evolve is to fight other Pokemon, gain experience, and get stronger. Pokemon also <laughs> choose to be captured by their trainer so they would not follow a trainer they didn't like or trust. Hope that cleared up one mystery. End quote. <laughs> that comes in from Jenny from Texas. The so dogs really? love it. The dogs yeah. love it. <laughs> They're so happy. Yeah. If only they had the freedom to do this on their own, you yeah. know, <laughs> as, as free thinking individuals. Yeah. I think, Devendra, you made the point uh, during the pre-show like uh, game plan that uh, that this is discourse that's been going on in the Pokemon universe for quite some time. That like people yeah. have debated the uh, autonomy of Pokemon for for generations at this point and the fact that it's a kid's game i think is kind of a little disturbing too so there are certainly like the pokemon company has all sorts of rules right you never see i think i mentioned this in the review you never really see people eating meat or animals i think the idea is like everybody's vegetarian or something like it's there are a lot of rules in this world to make it not horrific basically so people aren't eating their pokemon not more horrific there's like yeah. an underground uh, world of like Pokemon eaters in this universe, probably. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> Pokemon vores. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's. So you can always write into us at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com. We don't always get to read emails, uh, but we always do read them, and so uh, appreciate it. You just said response. we don't. You just said we don't always read them, but we read them. Well, we don't always, we don't get always... To read them on the air is what I mean to say. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But we always read them uh, in our email box. So uh, <laughs> slash filmcast at gmail.com is the address to send them to. Uh, before we move on to our review of John Wick Chapter 3, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. We got to thank Lalo Vargas Films, Douglas Laird, who gave us a really super generous donation, uh, David O'Connor. Michael Crowder, Anna Crowder, Amy Crowder, and Jessica Crowder as well uh, for their donations. And also uh, uh, Dan in London 
United Kingdom uh, wrote in this with his donation. He said, this is my first time donating or reaching out to you, but I've been listening to the Slash Filmcast for years, and it was a TRS fan back in the day. The Slash Filmcast is at the top of my feed, so I can listen as soon as your episodes drop. The thing that made me want to write in is to be an opposing voice to people that complain. I guess you could say my thoughts are best summed up in a limerick. Politics is sometimes discussed. We want our movies to be just. A vocal minority complains, but the fact simply remains. In Devendra, Jeff, and Dave, we trust. Ah, Nicely (laughs) done, Dan. Jeff Kanata, limerick seal of approval. So thanks uh, for that email, Dan, and for the donation. If you want to support what we do here on the podcast and help us to uh, defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show for you, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slash film.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, never donate if it in any, any way causes you hardship. But if you want to donate and are able to do so without any impact, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, and if you, ha- you don't have any money to donate but want to support us, just leave a review for us on wherever your podcasts are downloaded. Uh, that would be really appreciated as well. Leave a little rating for us. It takes no time. Uh, that's how you can support us. Thanks for uh, all the donations this week. Uh, thanks for all the reviews this week. Let's get to our review of John Wick Chapter 3. No idea what's coming. Mr. Wick broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. John Wick, excommunicado, is now in effect. You shouldn't be here. Nice suit. Good to see you, too. I need your help. After this, we are less than even. There's no escape for you. The high table wants your life. Would you help set the mood for our new guest? Let us begin. That was from the trailer of John Wick Chapter 3. And before we get into our non-spoiler section of our review, we will say that like in the non-spoiler section of the John Wick 3 review, we are going to be spoiling John Wick 1 and 2. So uh, if you don't want to know what happens in any of the John Wick movies, you got to piece out. What are you doing here? Got to piece out. I mean, are we? I guess we are, but... Well, I uh, uh, kind of have to. The plot summary. The plot yeah. summary here says so. Here, here it is. Here comes the spoilers <laughs> for John Wick Two. After gunning down a member of the high table, the shadowy International Assassins Guild, legendary hitman John Wick finds himself stripped of the organization's protective services. Now stuck with a fourteen million dollar bounty on his head, Wick must fight his way through the streets of New York as he becomes the target of the world's most ruthless killers. Oh, you know, I think that number is a spoiler. I don't think we knew that before. This movie is ruined for me. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, uh, so John Wick Chapter 3 is out. And by the way, you know, before we even talk about the movie, we should mention that uh, this movie's box office performance is incredible. I think it's also ruining all of our uh, summer wagers. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, I think, performed 87% higher than John Wick Chapter 2, which is like the Crazy. only time anything like that has happened is uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier versus Captain America Civil War. And in that instance, you, you had to bring in like Iron Man to make that happen, right? Like it, the, the only time like a, a, a part three has gr- grossed that much more than a part two is when like extraordinary circumstances occur. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know that this qualifies. This is just a movie that a lot of people wanted to see. I think uh, it's more like the fandom has had time to percolate. People, you know, people have time, had time to like watch the first movie uh, streaming and John Wick two, and like now it's uh, it's peak peak Wick time, baby. What's also extraordinary is like this. I don't think this movie has ever been on Netflix, as far as I can recall. Right? Which is yeah, or yeah. or like I I can't recall it being like on a major streaming service. So people have like found it uh, on their own. And, uh, yeah, it, it drove it to a $57 million opening, unseating Avengers Endgame. Uh, I knew one. I yeah. knew it was going to be big when I tried to buy a ticket yeah. yes. and yeah. several screenings were sold out. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. Cause, <laughs> uh, Detective Pikachu wasn't like that. It was easy. It was uh, whatever I wanted. I could just walk in. And, Believe their uh, wick, man. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe it. You've never seen a movie like an entry, like a number three, do this well unless it's like an Avengers film, basically. <laughs> um, so that's extraordinary. And I'm actually feeling really good about my list because uh, here's the thing: I chose Rocket Man as my number ten, which I deeply regret. And <laughs> uh, I, the, I, it was just declared that the movie's rated R, so there's just essentially no way that I'm gonna get Rocket Man <laughs> in the top ten. But if John Wick comes along riding in on a, on a horse through New York streets uh, and is able to get into the top 10, which seems very possible right now, uh, then that is like he is like an agent of terror in our lists that will really mess things up. And that is what, an agent of chaos. And that is what I need right now in order to win the summer movie wager. So uh, I am rooting for John Wick. Here's the thing, though. Unfortunately, I believe, Jeff, you chose it as one of your dark horses. I did. I yeah. think somebody else did too. I yeah, did too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, did. so that's really only going to help me a little bit, is what I'm saying. If I John mean, Dark Horse is only one measly point. It's one point. Still. Right. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah, it's it's doing really well and it has a chance at making it to the top 10 of the summer. So we'll see. I don't I don't think any of us ever, you know, obviously we chose it at Dark Horse, but no one put it in the top 10. No one nobody. put it in the top 10. I mean, what was 10. the, uh, so I think week two was like, what, 85 million total? Yeah, I think, right? I think that's about something right. Something like yeah. that. Something yeah, yeah. around that. And I was tracking those numbers. Like, this movie's not going to reach like past 150 or right, something. And right. now, this weekend alone is 92. Insane. 92 yeah. was John Wick 2. Okay. Don't you guys yeah. think that this points to the fact that this is going to be an insane summer for movies? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. For, for box office receipts in total, because we were already commenting how it is just jam packed with movies that all should make in the like 200 million range. And now, and this wasn't even one of the ones in our calculus. It's mm-hmm. it's wild. I, I don't know if I share your sanguine opinion, Jeff. I actually think this portends that like it, it might be it could be a bloodbath. And what I mean by that is uh, that like people wanted a movie like John Wick Chapter Three because they wanted something uh, that was more real than like a lot of what is being offered to them. Right. Then huh. Avengers and Lion King, Aladdin. Um, and I think Lion King is still going to crush. Like, I think it's going to do really well, but like, uh, I think like the reason that mission impossible movies are really successful. The reason John wick is really successful is because people want to see the actor, the actual person doing the thing. They want to see like that person doing the thing and believing it. Mm. And, um, you don't think that's going to be the case for Aladdin? (laughs) I don't, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) I, I don't think, Will Smith is actually a genie, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I could see it going both ways. I think you're you're very possibly right that like maybe every movie is going to do well and a rising tide lift all boats. But like, it's also possible that John Wick three is an aberration, an anomaly, and that like right. uh, that the this movie is going to do better than some of the other movies that we think are sure things. So, right, we'll see. I, I could see it going both ways, and I actually lean more towards the latter. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. So, John Wick chapter three. Divin your hardware, let's start with you. Your thoughts on John Wick 3 Parabellum. Absolutely loved it. This movie feels like a fever dream to me. Uh mainly, mainly because of Mark freaking DeCascos, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you had the same 90s experience that I did, but I grew up watching I, I all to, this guy's movies. I need to give some context for this, which yeah. is that since I met Devindra over <laughs> I want to say 15 years ago. Uh, Devendra has been uh, preaching the gospel of Mark Dacascos, right? Like, ever since we were in college, you're like, Dave, have you seen the new Mark Dacascos movie? Have you seen Brotherhood of the Wolf? Have you, yeah, have you seen Brotherhood of the Wolf? Have you seen, what is it, Only the Strong? Uh, <laughs> you know, have you seen, like, all, and you would just Drive. name. Yeah, yeah, like, you just name, like, every Mark Dacascos. So, so, like, Devendra is, like, stands hard for Mark Dacascos for over a decade. Right. I believed in him. I was happy when he became the chairman on Iron Chef America. I was also sad because that portended like how badly his movie career was doing. Uh, but he's been on some things. He's been on Hawaii Five-0. He was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But his film career has kind of stumbled. He is back and awesome in this movie. So I give this movie a ton of credit just for that. Uh, mainly, though, I love this movie because it starts with exactly what John Wick 2 didn't really have, which is stakes. At the end of John Wick 2, he lost everything. And I was eager, you know, for the past two years to see how he's going to get out of this mess. Uh, so I was really like I was on board completely uh, with the narrative this time. Whereas, too, it was like 
you know, it continued from John Wick one, which I loved. Uh, but two, basically, like the uh, the continuing motivation in two is we blew up your house, and also you owe us for this contract, so go do that thing. Uh, far less exciting, I'd say. This movie, he loses everything, and everything's also so much more difficult too. Um, as beautiful as the action was in two, I did not really enjoy the fact that he got literally a bulletproof suit. You know, like everything felt a little too easy. It felt a little too Matrix reloaded to me. Uh, this movie, we still got that suit. But things get hard. Things get rough. And we see a lot of things we've never seen before. Horse action. Uh, the, the craziest knife fight I've ever seen in a movie. Um, uh, let's there, let's, say, a lot let's, of save, let's save some stuff. of that stuff for the spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed that the action scenes are extremely ambitious. Um, and glad you like this movie better than the last one. Uh, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum? Well, Dave, I... <laughs> guess you could say my thoughts about John Wick 3 Parabellum would best be summed up in the form of a limerick. What a shock. Mm-hmm. I've had a hard time finding glee in Wick film shooting sprees. <laughs> but that's kind of been solved because it's finally evolved to the cartoon it always wanted to be. Mm. Mm. All right. Interesting. Explain that, Jeff Kanata. Uh I very vividly remember I, – I don't – was I reviewing on the show when Wick 1 came out? I don't remember what show I was reviewing on. But I I had very mixed feelings watching Wick 1 because I think it came out the same week. It's kind of hard not to be the same week uh, in this country. But it was the same week as a big uh, mass shooting. Mm-hmm. And I had that on my mind when I saw the first John Wick. And I couldn't help but bring that into the theater with me. And it made it, it put a sour taste in my mouth for the for the joy that I was supposed to feel in yeah. watching point blank gunshots to the face, um, <clears throat> and the sort of fetishization of guns that is the John Wick series. And so, the you know it, it was always over the top and and heightened, but it did feel those the first movie in particular felt fairly grounded you know it was a it was a gritty sort of grounded thing with some over-the-top action we have gotten to the point now with the third one where we are in full looney tunes land (laughs) and i love it i'm happy i'm happy to be there it is it's jackie chan it's um you know it is action that is creative and wild and unrealistic and cartoonish in the best possible way. Um, it's an anime done live action and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm down for that. I, I, I still think there, there is, uh, this sort of love letter to guns that just hits me now in the age I'm in, in the year that we are in as not something that is as fun as it used to be when I was a kid, <clears throat> you know, when I could watch Rambo and just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that as much anymore just because the way the world works now. Um, But this movie has so much fun in showing action sequences without guns. Uh, You know, Devendra referenced a a scene that I like to call the, the, the fight scene of infinite knives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is one of the most fun sequences I've ever seen in an action movie. And this movie is really clever, really inventive. It demonstrates the fact that you can, uh, you can come up with stuff we've never seen before. Still, you know, even this at this point in in cinema, when action sequences seem to be straining to find something novel, uh, this movie finds four or five things. I'm just like, wow, wow, I've never seen that before. And mm-hmm. not because they're able to do stuff with CG, although they are, but because, you know, these, the, the physical, the, the idea of it, the concept of it is novel. Uh, and that's really cool. Um, the, the story and the world building is just, has lost a lost its mind. It is. I mean, we'll get to it in spoilers, but there's a whole detour into the desert that is like, what? Why? I don't get it. Uh, but this movie, it, the John Wick series, has become its own sort of James Bondian loop loopiness. You know, in the in the sort of Roger um, uh, Roger Moore years. You know, and it's just like cartoon characters, and that's kind of the fun. 
and I'm finally able to really enjoy most of it because it's, it's indulging itself. It's not taking itself seriously at all. And it, and it's having a blast and not trying to make me, you know, feel the weight of the violence because it's now cartoony. Mm. Well, I am a little bit torn about John Wick chapter three, gents. I think, uh, there are, I, I have two, I'm of two minds about it. On the one hand, 15 minutes into this movie and it's already delivered two of the most ambitious action sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh-huh. Yeah. At least, at least, at least right. two. And then, and that's just the beginning. It then goes on to like attempt to, t- to top those action sequences, right? Um, not to mention uh, there are some action pairings in this film that I'm not going to give away right now. We'll talk about it in spoilers, but that like, it, it's like a, a dream come true. It's like, if you're, uh, you know, a, a kid and like thinking like, what if so and so fought so and so? Like, that's what you would come up with, right? Um, at least I would. Uh, some of the action pairings that occur in this movie. So it's like, wow, like incredible action matchups that I'm just so thrilled to be watching. Uh, on the other hand, it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. It feels like, uh, like you said, Jeff, they decided to go full on cartoon. And to me, it felt like that there there was still another way they could have gone with this movie, which is like they could have gone a more grounded way. I remember listening to a Q&A podcast, like Jeff Goldsmith's podcast with uh, one of the screenwriters, talking about what the potential for the third film might be. And what he described there was felt like it has much more emotional stakes than what was in this film. Uh, and... Rewatching the first two in preparation for this discussion today, uh, I was struck by just how many more characters there were in the first film that I cared about. Specifically, you know, John Leguizamo as being kind of John Wick's buddy. Where, where is he anymore? Uh, and um, William Defoe had had this whole kind of like friendship with John John Wick. Uh, that I really appreciated, and you know, the movie just doesn't care about that stuff anymore. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly right, and, and and I think that's just like mildly sad in the sense that like what it, it, it would be one thing if the movie was just pure action, uh, like no plot, and just like you know the movie exists to deliver really beautifully choreographed, well lit, nicely like interestingly shot action, and that was it. But instead, it's replaced it with all this. In my opinion, like masturbatory uh, plot about the high table, it, it's just complete nonsense, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I mean, I, I just don't think any of it, it stands up to even the mildest of scrutiny. As I uh, am wondering, though, Dave, like, how does this compare to John Wick Two, which I think you could apply all those criticisms to, and it doesn't have like the more interesting elements of this movie. Like, it doesn't even have the motivation done well. I think you're right uh, about that, Devin. Right? I think you're right. Like, I actually like this movie better than John Wick Two, and looking back. Like By comparing far. comparing this to John Wick Two, I think this is the much better movie. I guess I get, kind of gave John Wick Two a pass because you know the action was still pretty good, and it felt like they were trying to test the limits of the world. That's what like sure, that's sure, what John yeah. Wick Two felt like. It's like okay, how if we dig down another layer into this world, like how far can we go? And you know, different people will find it to be differing levels of satisfaction uh, or satisfying. Uh, and it, it's clear looking back on it that it's not that satisfying mm-hmm. in terms of like what, like how interesting that world is. Um, I think that this these series of films are very enamored with this world. They're like, yes, it, it, it feels very pleased with itself. It's up its own like, ass in terms of like, yeah, like oh, the continental and all this stuff and. And it's like it's it is this kind of world where like if you start thinking about it even just a little bit like it doesn't really make any sense. And this movie um, would have you believe that there is no one who isn't an assassin, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Every, yeah, yeah. Everyone's an assassin. That's basically. right. Yeah, you know. And so, uh, and so th- this movie, in my opinion, John Wick Three had two choices. Had one of two choices. It could either go deeper into the world, into this like you know self wankery, which is what it did, or it could choose to be more grounded and and have a story that had like more emotional stakes and it didn't do that uh and i think that is a bit of a missed opportunity that being said mm-hmm. I, I i did really enjoy the film i've seen it twice already um i welcome more john wick movies in the future like i look forward to seeing what kind of innovative action they can come up with uh but at this point like i'm i'm kind of like emotionally and intellectually like checked out of the movie you know like yeah. i think series that, of movies, as right? action yeah. films though as just pure action sequences that you could 
you could even excise out of the film and just watch on their own. This movie is better than both of the previous films. Agreed, hundred percent, hundred percent agreed. In uh, terms of scale, like the the inventiveness of the set pieces, the choreography, like it's all leveled up. Uh, I will say the like Dave, like I totally agree. The first movie is is always will have the more emotional stakes for me because that movie spends half an hour where there is no action, no action, you know, there's right. no killing. It's just yeah. it's grief, it's loss, it's John Wick dealing with the loss of his wife and these you know asshole gangsters who make his life hell. Uh, we're, I don't know if we'll get that again, unfortunately, because of the way the, the momentums the movies has now, we can't really do that again. Yeah. I mean, I think we could have, but you're right. Like it, it's very much like comparing Die Hard one to Die Hard three, right? Die Hard one, there's mm-hmm. like no action for like 45 minutes and, and it's to set up like what is at stake, who these characters are, why we should care about what happens to them. And Die Hard 3, I think, is a great movie still. Um, But it's like nonstop, like going from place to place, diffusing Mm -hmm. bombs, literally. Uh, And that's kind of what this feels like. It's like we've kind of already built the, the, we're like the the level of emotional stakes that we've established. We're never going to go higher than that. In fact, we're not even going to meet that level again, right? Uh, It's not about that anymore. Yeah, it's not about that anymore. Not about that anymore. So it's kind of like comparing Fast and the Furious one to Fast and the Furious eight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's another another good comparison. Another good good comparison. We just got there really quickly. I will say, I I think the stakes of John Wick losing everything, like for the first two movies, he's had this protection of this whole assassin society and everything he could get from you know the Continental and all that stuff. He's had a lot of concierge help. And I like the idea that he is starting this movie. He got, what, 10 minutes? He got, like, a little time to run out and be free. And, like, his first thing is, okay, I, I got to, I gotta like, get free, got to get fixed, got to get my money, got to get out of here. And I like that. I like that process of it. Like, it's a very pragmatic way to approach the situation. Because I was wondering, since the end of 2, is like, oh, shit, what does this mean for John Wick? And I, I think they've handled that escalation of, of those stakes pretty well, at least. You know what's pretty hilarious about the John Wick series is that the events of the entire first three films take place in, I think, two weeks, basically. Two weeks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's a break. L- less than a month, essentially. Uh, the, the, so that's pretty great. It's very, like, Saw-esque or Bourne-esque in terms of, like, how the, the movies play with time. and like Because this movie begins, min- as you said, minutes after the last one ends. Um, so pretty... Yeah, same uh, as through number two. Like, it's just, yeah. it kept going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's get to spoilers for John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Oh, man. That, oh, that man. horse action. The horse. He can't I don't know, dude. Horse. Knife, the knife horse fight, the dude. Yeah, horse kicking, dude, several times. Amazing. Yeah, sir, those are real horses, apparently. Like they, they were tweeting about this. That wasn't just CG horse, dude. Uh, you could yeah. tell the one horse like started leaving the scene, or they're fighting, and, and there was some <laughs> trainer off screen going back, back, Nelly, back. <laughs> it was, oh, dude, that was ex- insane. But the knife is amazing. The, the knife, the knife, the knife yeah. fight was my favorite. But the dogs, the dogs. Like, dogs are so good. Dog I've actually ran up the wall. I've it's never insane. seen, I've never seen choreographed, uh, camera moves with multiple dogs coming from off multiple uh, screen sides okay. doing cool things that have to do it at the exact right moment. Or are you going to screw up this extraordinarily long take with actors doing all kinds of crazy things and explosions going off, and then you got to trust these dogs to do this exact <laughs> thing? It's it was crazy. Yeah, they say never work with kids and animals, right? And yeah. I cannot imagine setting up these scenes with with dogs. You know, it is yeah, really remarkable. It, it, it is remarkable uh, the the dog stuff because, well, first of all, I think they got the guy who did the uh, who tr- who worked with the dire wolves in Game of Thrones. They got him to do the dog training stuff. I wouldn't uh, think of the dire wolves in Game of Thrones as being, you know, <laughs> wildly choreographed. <laughs> they uh, the wolves had to be trained enough to not kill anyone on set, and so. But I guess that's important. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, 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 what, what's interesting about the way this this movie is shot is um, obviously the uh, the director Chad Stahelski he got his uh, start in in stunt coordination and being a stunt person, and what I love about this series of films is uh, that. The the 
choreography, the stunt work is what they want to show you, right? Like in right. other movies, it's like, oh, we want to show this person getting shot, this person dying, whatever. Uh, and the stunt work is kind of like an, a, uh, a, a kind of ancillary thing, like a bonus thing on top of that. Mm-hmm. In this movie, that is, the, that is the meal that they're serving you. Is yeah. Look at what these people have put themselves through. There's like a shot where – Like Jackie Chan. Yeah, exactly. There's a shot where um, at Grand Central Station where Keanu emerges from like the, back, the rear entrance of Grand Central and he like he tackles a guy off of a bike – and then in the same shot, tackles yeah. another guy off the bike and then shoots them both in the head, like in one shot. And, and it's just like, oh my, like in, in any other film, this would be 10 shots in like right. a five seconds. But like they do it all one long continuous mm-hmm. shot. Like they pan from left to right. I'm just like, wow. Like they, they did it to show you that these are real hits, that they tried to be as practical as possible. And that ethos infuses the entire film and is really mm-hmm. impressive to watch. So. I mean, somebody tweeted something about his editing philosophy too. Like they never edit mid move. Like it's always at the completed move. So you see everything that's actually happening, you know, as you would in a martial arts film, as you should. Uh, I saw, I was watching um, the Scorpion King was on TV recently. And man, do you guys remember that movie? We have come so far, <laughs> so far when it comes to like action in big set pieces. And that was what, maybe 15 years ago. I forget. Um, but that, yeah, yeah. Well, the action, is, the this action of this movie looks beautiful. I mean, just, yeah. you know, it, it's, um, it's interesting. Like the way that John wick fights people, I think they, they called it like gun foo or whatever. It actually reminds mm-hmm. me of like the gun kata from equilibrium. Divindra, gun kata, uh, baby. The, yeah. You know, the yeah. Christian Bale action film. And, uh, it, the way he takes down, uh, villains or you know henchmen is is beautiful to watch right it's like it's like this dance it's not like uh mm-hmm. they're talking about the difference between i was uh, watching like i've watched a lot of like bonus content for this uh, movie and i was listening <laughs> to the director talk about like in a real fight you, it, like the difference between like a real fight and choreography is like you try to like injure the per- like you try to disable the person as much as possible in a real fight yeah. and yeah. in the john wick movies uh there's like a rhythm to the action scenes, right? It's like, you know, hit, hit, hit. Like, it's like this kind of, it's almost like a metronome, like this kind of like, uh, back and forth, like mm-hmm. dance between the two uh, people that are fighting. It's, it's um, ballet. And yeah, I kind of love yeah. that they got the ballet imagery in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like really, really showing us up front, like what sort of choreography we're dealing with here. Well, there's yeah. this, this is one scene in that ballet s- uh, sequence where, uh, a character takes off their toenail. One of the ballerinas mm-hmm. removes their toenail and, yeah. Uh, rewatch it. The first time I thought I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is just kind of like a little disgusting touch." But the second time I watched it, it did occur to me that uh, this is the movie's way of telling you that like people have suffered to bring you this art that you're watching right mm-hmm. now. You know, like yeah. that that all art is suffering, and that like people have worked really hard to make this movie. Uh, and you got to respect that to some degree, right? You got to respect. And that, so. to that end, not enough can be said about Keanu. I mean, the dude is a gifted physical actor i especially at his age doing the number of things that he does in this movie i mean we go on and on about tom cruise and rightfully so but keanu brings it in these movies and in particular this one i feel like he has more of that to do in this movie than he has had in any of the previous and maybe even more than he ever did in any of the matrix movies Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of physicality and a lot of him doing it so it's 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 you know, kudos yeah, to that. The guy is fifty-four years old. It's unbelievable, right? unbelievable. insane, unbelievable. Insane. And but like when he's running, you can kind of see his age a little bit, right? Like he kind of runs like he's really worn down and weird. Like through the rain, the, those first. He's not running. Well, like, how much that, that is I think acting. at that point it does seem like yeah, he is. He is a worn down at <laughs> yeah, that yeah, point. I mean, as he's been right? brutally beaten <laughs> up, and you know, I think maybe that some of that is intentional. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. It's intentional. I mean, I'm sure he could run faster if he wanted to, but. But uh, also, that that is what a fifty-four-year-old person would look like running in that situation. In my opinion, it's just that Tom Cruise doesn't know how to run injured. That's right. He just That's runs true. beautiful. That's, That's right. all he knows he how runs, to do. He only knows how to run beautiful. That's right. I mean, okay, so yeah. so here's one of the biggest problems of the movie for me. Right, like the biggest issue emotionally in this movie for me is the Halle Berry subplot. Halle Berry is incredible mm-hmm. in this film. She shows that she is just as skilled as uh yeah. as John she, Wick, right? He's awesome. In, in in this movie. And that's one of the that's one of the awesome things about this movie is 
that uh, like all all the main stars, right? Halle Berry, uh, uh, Mark DeCascos, um, Keanu Reeves are all over fifty years old, and they're all showing mm-hmm. you can still kick ass and look incredible doing it. Uh, it's inspiring. Life goals. Hashtag life goals. Right. Also great that the series is like at a point where like. I think Holly Berry was just like, I want to be a part of this and I want to do the training. Like people want yeah. the training, which is unique to like this whole series of films and also like Atomic Blonde, right? The uh, the co-director of John Wick 1, I yeah. believe, is, did that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was listening to the director talk about it and uh, on uh, the Big Picture podcast, so they, they did an interview with the director of John Wick 3 and, and talking about how like um, most people are like, oh, you're you're shooting a film? Well, let's do like six weeks of training. And he's like, six mm-hmm. weeks. I'm talking about six months of training, and he's yes. like, "You got it." And it's like the first week of training is really fun, but then like by month five, when you're like driving to three gyms a day, spending two hours in LA traffic, and then training for like eight to ten hours a day, and you're exhausted, you're bruised, you're injured every day. It's hard to spend time with your family. Um, it, it's less fun for people. It's a huge sacrifice for people to do these movies, and for Keanu to continue to do these movies, and. uh uh, it's all there up on the screen. But going back to the Halle Berry mm-hmm. subplot, I yeah, think kind of a mess. Yeah. I think first of all, yeah, she co- is completely forgotten after she appeared. Like I, I thought we were gonna like come back to Halle Berry at some mm-hmm. point. We never do. I uh, will. I ran to the bathroom like right after that. So what happened? Like as he was getting to the desert, did they just say goodbye and she yeah, left? Yeah, they said goodbye yes. to the desert and she just literally like, go. Yeah, really. Literally, Even after like... doing the thing that she was worried about that would put her daughter in danger. That's she, right. That's right. Yeah. The big the big moment is that she drinks some water and then spits it back into the bottle and gives it to him. <laughs> yes. That's the big moment <laughs> that they have, uh, which was dumb. Uh, and the whole idea that he goes and the the way to meet the person who's above the table, which is super not clear even what that means, mm-hmm. is uh, walk in the desert until you can't walk anymore and then keep walking and then they'll either find you or they won't. And he takes that literally and goes and does it. And it works somehow. It, it never crossed my mind that it wasn't literal, though, Jeff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I always thought that that was actually what he had. This is going back to weird legendary stuff, right? Yeah. This it's is like weird King dumb. Arthur type mythology. <laughs> like, it's dumb. And I, I didn't buy – first of all, I didn't buy – well, I didn't buy the adjudicator as being a, a real threat. Like she, she yeah. s- seemed ridiculous. I the feel whole like time. they needed maybe somebody slightly stronger as an actress there or actor. Yeah. Like, I, I think I think the performer is great. Asia K. Dillon is fine. It's just like the performance. Uh-huh. It, it was. I would say her and Mark Dacascos kind of felt like they were in a different film. Uh, they uh-huh. kind they kind yeah. of were like in, in a much camp, even more campy version of this movie than John Wick Three already is. Uh, and that the adjudicator's performance just did not work for me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then they show up and uh, they they meet the el- or uh, John Wick shows up and meets the elder, who Which, is who is uh, like eight, so eight years younger than John Wick. <laughs> but uh, also, what listen. what possible? There's the movie doesn't care to establish why he is important other than people say he is important. There's, I mean, that, that's he, the entire, that's the entire mythology of this movie though. Right. Like just, John Wick is important because everyone's afraid of him. And then he shows us why, but yeah, but he shows us why, right? This guy, yeah. there's no showing of why there's no reason he's out in the middle of nowhere. And yet somehow is above all the goings on in New York. Like what? I don't, and then, and then the thing that he tells John Wick to do is literally something that he could. It's not like you need to kill a thousand dudes. It's yeah, right. you need to kill this one guy that we literally have like a SWAT team five minutes away <laughs> that we could just send to kill this guy. Right. Uh, and in fact, and also you kind fact, of the already of send, want to kill him. And in fact, the act of sending you to kill him may in fact jeopardize that entire mission. This was probably not a great plan. To <laughs> yeah, is. come to think of it. Not a great plan. I also Not a really – I don't want to skip ahead too far, but I'm going to. I, I don't buy the last double cross of uh, – what's his name? Um, Winston? Yeah, mm-hmm. Winston. That Shooting him and knocking him off the building. I, why? The, you have established that John Wick is willing to go to war with you and for you. You have established that you have – you guys are actually friends and – you had multiple opportunities to save face with the high table and keep 
stay alive and just murder John, John Wick. And you have at multiple times said, no, I'm not going to do that. And now for no reason whatsoever, even though you have the upper hand, mm-hmm. you decide to kill him. It, it makes no I, sense. I got the it, feeling that he kind of knew he would survive. Yeah. In the movie's defense, Jeff, I think it's possible yeah. that Winston knew John Wick would survive. So he knew that shooting him and knocking him off a multi-story building. Yep. Yeah. This is John Wick. It's John Wick. It's John Wick. He killed three men with a pencil. Okay. Bob O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah. Bob O'Reilly. Although here's what, here's what is weird to me is at the end of John Wick chapter two uh, or during John Wick chapter two, there's a pretty awesome sequence where he's like meeting the gun sommelier and meeting the tailor. And he's like, what kind of, what kind of suit do you want? Tactical. And it's like this suit has like bulletproof lining uh, sewn into it. Um, and then later on, he meets the elder, gets a new suit, but apparently that suit also has the bulletproof lining. So I, is that just like a standard thing now? Well, I have agree. all the upgrades. He's the elder. Come on. I agree with you, though, Devendra, that like the idea of John Wick having a bulletproof suit is kind of lame. Uh, it is lame, but but, but this movie. I think they showed that the uh, the knives, first of all, uh, it may be bulletproof, not quite knife proof. But the idea <laughs> when they got those super uh, the super armored soldiers that was the cool. end, that was, that was cool. like, OK, oh, things are difficult again. You yeah, have to like yeah. it's yeah. not just a headshot. It's like five headshots. And it's like it, it's a struggle. Shooting and I like that. The neck. I like that struggle. He's got to go yeah. in the neck. That's right. Or use a shotgun. Um, mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I like I like the movie did interesting ideas, had interesting ideas from the action perspective. Also, um, a scene inspired by the villainous, I think. Uh, with the motorcycles, yeah. right? Which yeah. is um, yeah, uh, which was Davindra's movie of choice when he won the summer movie wager in a huge anomaly. Uh, You're welcome, guys. Yeah. You're welcome. You're prepared for John Wick three. Yeah. I do think that the villainous did it better, but it was a very cool sequence in John Wick for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, when he the guy he cuts off that guy's arm and the arm gets stuck in the motorbike wheel, yeah. and I that's mean that's cool. just pretty cool, incredible. I think um, they're both. They both did it pretty well, but Villainous uh, does a lot more CG trickery, like a lot yeah. more camera tricks to make that look like people were actually riding in bikes and sword fighting. Whereas this movie, it looks like they were definitely riding down the highway quite a bit. So I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the camera was doing some pretty impossible stuff, so I, yeah. I don't know how they actually did it. But and um, big shout out to all the assassins who want to kill John Wick, but not yeah. at the expense of killing a horsey. You know, like <laughs> yeah, a big right. shout out to those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you got to have standards. You know what I'm saying? Got to have standards. The raid guys. I love how respectful the, they were the, during that the fight. Guys, okay. they had the main villain from the raid one and two in, <laughs> in fight John Wick in this movie. Yeah, and that is awesome. And I, I, yeah, I love how respectfully they were of him. And also, it felt good to me that then he didn't kill them after he defeated yes. them. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, that felt good to me. So, uh, okay, but back to the Halle Berry stuff. Here's the thing that really bothers me about the Halle Berry stuff is we've just had this whole speech that Halle Berry gives about how, like, I can't have these people finding my daughter. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself as well. The last thing this, like, I need is some trouble in my life, okay? And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, like, okay, like, <laughs> wow, the, the actual emotional stakes. Maybe we're going to meet the daughter. Like, it's going to be... Uh, you've you've you know you've got my you have my curiosity yeah. now you have my attention John Wick meeting the daughter or something. right yeah, yeah some of that and then uh then she just goes and then proceeds to jeopardize all that because of her dog which on the one hand consistent uh, on the one hand consistent with the John Wick universe but but like the reason John Wick you know destroyed Michael Nyquist's uh <laughs> entire organization in John Wick one is because he had literally nothing to lose he had yeah. lost his wife he his dog had been murdered. Uh, so I, I believe that that character would be like, you know, F it. I'm just going to take down the whole organization. But you've already set up Halle Berry as somebody who gives a crap about something other than herself. And so then the idea that she would just then like shoot Braun from Game of Thrones, yeah, uh, it doesn't scan for me. At least not uh, uh, not if you want me to take emotional stakes seriously in this universe mm-hmm. anymore, which I don't think it does. Um, it feels like they kind of did it just for the joke, too. Like just for John Wick to say, I get it. Yeah, it's a pretty good gag. You know, a lot of people yeah. laughed, but uh, I mean, if you if you named this this series uh, a dog's journey, it would be <laughs> it would be fine because you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was a that was a big disappointment, and kind of like the the biggest weakness of the film for me is like the one stab it has of like making this uh, something that I actually care about, a character I care about, with the history I care about. It completely drops the ball. Uh, that said, the the salve on that wound is it then follows that scene up with one of the most spectacular action sequences I've ever seen, uh, yeah. which is the the dog Worth. sequence. Uh, 
Um, yeah. Hashtag worth. Uh, hashtag worth. What do you mean? It was w- w- worth worth uh, the, the price of admission. Worth no worth the uh, the the complete uh, <laughs> fucking of the logic of, worth of, of there you go worth you know it. complete yeah. um you know the, ruining the logic of any of character motivation just to get to that action sequence. It's like who cares? We just got to see that. You know. <laughs> also, it occurred to me that maybe we could do a a good boom goes a dynamite with a uh, uh, movie came out this weekend where uh, a dog affects the life and death of many people, but enough about John Wick. I want to talk about a dog's way home. I don't know. Nice. I'm just, I'm Nailed. composing it on the fly. It's Nailed not great. It, Jeff. Yeah. Also, okay. I'm pretty sure you're talking about a dog's journey. Please get that straight. I don't know the difference between <laughs> the dog yeah. movies, which yeah. is apparently about the multiple lives of yeah, a single like dog. Reincarnation. Or no, no, it's about yeah. the same soul moving across different dogs. It's I'm about dog confused. reincarnation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Gotta it's just it. weird. I don't know. It, anyway, we don't need to talk about that. Go ahead. I love it. Uh, there is not enough Mark DeCasco's talk here, and I want to say uh, I <laughs> love great. him so much. Like, he is kind of channeling Noho Hank from Barry uh, a little, like, his fanboying is, oh, uh, is fun. Yeah. Uh, same well, it kind of comes in vibe. at an odd time really late in the movie where yes. he's like, you know, you've, you've seen him for a long time before that quality comes out, but it's welcome <laughs> when it does. And here's the sushi chef, uh, by the way. Uh, I do kind of love that uh, his character basically introduces ninjas into the John Wick universe, which is good. Um, nice to have some Asian representation in the series, too. But also ninjas like they're they're so like beyond the the all the gangsters and like all the henchmen. Like they are just tearing people apart, coming in from the shadows. Uh, I like that we can still escalate uh, the insanity in this world with people like them. Yeah, but I, the scene when he makes the scary sushi for the lady and she eats it, if that was mm-hmm. supposed to make me think she was badass, it failed completely. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed 100%. Yeah. Like, pretty I, pretty, pretty yeah. rough. Um, yeah. And also, they, uh, what's weird about that scene is they don't even explain that the in the puffer fish there is a portion that isn't poisonous. Right. So they didn't yeah. even set it up correctly. In my he opinion. just said it's poisonous. She's like, "All right, yeah, cool. I'm gonna eat it." You know, it's like, no, it's poisonous if prepared incorrectly. Please get the sushi lore correct, John Wick. Also, <laughs> what is lore. what is the economy of this assassin world if these literally three of the most badass people on the planet need to be working at the sushi stand? You know, like they can't like <laughs> knife skills up, man. They can't and retire, like. Yeah, you know they gotta they gotta be working sushi all the time and like pretending to be this like uh, speaking broken English. Anyway, um, yeah. but I like- you know those gold coins. Uh, I, I was going to say those gold coins can't be taken everywhere, but evidently they can because every cab driver knows them. Uh, evidently, <laughs> we got yeah. to see how they're made. I don't think we needed that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like what uh, Twitter user at Foy Wonder said about Mark Dacascos' character. He said on Twitter today, "quote." Is Mark DeCasco's John Wick 3 character a perfect metaphor for modern fanboys? And then he has a bulleted list here. Fawn over the IP. Demand they recognize you as their creative equal. <laughs> troll them and set out to destroy the thing you claim to love. Fail miserably yet insist they validate your existence. Uh, and I thought that was, yeah. a good, that was a good summary. His name is Zero. So, his you name know. is Zero. Not an accident, I don't think. <laughs> So, best line in the movie was when he's like, "That was a pretty good fight, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> that when he when that character says that pretty good fight, huh? Um, that is basically what any online internet fan like that is what any like hashtag release the Snyder Cut person is thinking when they yeah. deliver a scathing argument uh, about <laughs> why Warner Brothers needs to do right by the fans. Um, so, anyway, any other thoughts on John Wick Chapter Three? Uh, I think. It was a great time. I can't wait to get watch it again on home video. It's uh, a good sit. I, I, it's a good sit. I, I, speaking yep. of stakes, by the way, I do kind of love that all of John Wick's friends ended up paying for his indiscretions too. Yeah. Like this movie really stacks up. Oh, there are consequences to this, you know, uh, insane uh, violence, basically, and that's part of the stakes building to me. No, it's, it, nobody should have helped him. Everybody yep. who helps him suffers and he yeah. does nothing for them also angelica houston didn't mention her but so good so good yeah she's awesome yeah. and there's that scene when like the ninjas are raiding angelica houston's lair as it were uh and there's like this scene when like these like three dudes the it's like mark DeCascos and the two guys from the raid like walk onto the stage clad entirely in black 
And it's, it's be- so it's, dumb. It's it, well, it's beautiful though. It's it's, it's so dumb. It's the, Why? It, what are they? What are they? What are they doing? Right. Embrace but, it, Jeff. But, but, but it. that that Come scene, on. that scene though, that shot, Jeff, I think encapsulates yeah. everything about the film. And if you listen yes. to the directors yes. talk about the movie, it really feels like, hey, that looks cool. Let's put it in the film, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, and that's fine. Like, I I enjoy that. But like, but that, that then that is that is the level of seriousness that this series aspires to. And that's how serious I'm going to take it from now on. You know, like I'm not going to. Yeah, as you should. Yeah. yeah. It's, this, um, is the, this is the, what it's, it's explicitly asking now. Right. Also, right. also uh, every future John Wick movie, there's going to be some poor CG artist who has to erase one of Keanu's fingers from every shot. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. I was thinking about the logistics of that for a while. <laughs> I did think that was kind of interesting when he like takes off his ring and his ring finger and it's like he's like prove your worth and he like takes off the ring finger it's like, and you know the elder is like whoa i just i just wanted you to like cut yourself or something like <laughs> it's like how did he know that that is that is that an unwritten rule that they need to go and yeah. like remove the finger i you guess know? it's all unwritten rule everything yeah. is you know couched in years yeah. of tradition in this losing series. fingers is a common thing in assassin lore so yeah. i guess i guess it works out i don't know does that hurt his uh, gun handling or anything though it's I his guess. left hand you it's know. A, and it's a useless finger it's, I not, guess as, it's not his gun hand so yeah he'll, he'll be just fine he'll be just fine uh you all looking forward to john wick chapter four which seems a sur- sure thing now with uh lawrence fishburne the homeless person king uh <laughs> that now going like that's that's actually another frustrating thing about this movie is like in my opinion, this movie basically it, it, the 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 state of play at the end of John Wick three is what I thought it would be at the beginning of John Wick three. Like <laughs> I thought, like oh, he's taking on the high table. Like that's what I thought was gonna happen in this film. Yeah, um, but now he's really doing it this time. Uh, y'all looking forward to it? You psyched? I mean, it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think this series now is is has defined its terms and I'm in it for the action sequences. I, I want clever, uh, you know, novel action sequences. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I don't want it to get too big. That's the thing. I don't want this to become like a huge, uh, $150 million, you know, series or something, uh, for budget. Right. Uh, they need to stay nimble, need to stay kind of, you know, I, I think that helps a series like this for sure. I don't know, man. I kind of feel like the fact that we went to Morocco, I feel like it's going to be one of those things now, like in James Bond and Fast uh-huh. and Furious, where you get that that big wide shot and then the text on screen that says, you know, Shanghai or wherever, <laughs> you know, wherever we are next. It's it's I mean, if TV shows can do it on a you know cheaper budget, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think, think we're globetrotting now. Yeah. What's um, yeah, I I agree that I don't want the series to get too big either. What's fascinating to me is like. How effortless, you know, to the, to the film, I've been complaining about the movie, but to its credit, how effortless it made coming up with these inventive action uh, scenes feel. You know, it's like, because yeah. they deserved it. We, we have collectively between the three of us, we have watched thousands of action scenes in our life. <laughs> right. And yeah. we're, we're thinking like, OK, we basically know what an action scene can contain. Right. And this movie said, nope, there's things that you didn't even think about that we have in this movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious how long they can keep keeping up that trick. Um, and I'm going to keep paying money to see. So that's uh, sure. I think we can leave it there. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned to what we'll be discussing next week. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our fil- uh, a spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was produced by Baby Zhang. Until next week, Devendra Hardware, can people find more of your work on the internet this week? I am at Devendra on Twitter and you're at right about tech and gadget.com. I won't be here next week, uh, but I'm sure you guys will have fun. Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, we will be going Devendra list because you'll be at the Computex. Safe travels, Devendra. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Jeff Kanata, where can people find more of your work? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I want to thank uh, Slash Filmcast listeners that have sent me nice emails and tweets, uh, having checked out my brand new Dungeons & Dragons show that I talked about a little bit on the show last week. Uh, we are going strong. It is a live play Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Uh, maybe you're uh, you're you're getting going through withdrawals of, of fantasy type stuff. Now the Game of Thrones is off the air. Why not give it a shot? It's fun. It's improvised storytelling, but I think you'll dig it. I'm really proud of it. Uh, You can find it on YouTube. It's called The Dungeon Run. 
Uh, you can find it as an audio podcast if you want to experience it that way. But the best way, because you can actually interact with the show and cause things to happen in the game world, is by watching it live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time on caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. Uh, I also do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net and follow me on Twitter at DaveChensky. Next week is Memorial Day weekend. We'll be reviewing Aladdin. Aladdin. So I guess what you can say, Dave, is we will show you the world. I'm no, glad I'm I not think... here next week. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I think wow. what I'm saying is be our guest, be our guest. <laughs> that's the oh, wrong wait, movie, so, man. That's the wrong movie? Okay. <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. <laughs> All right. This, this podcast is over. Hold your breath. It gets better. He watched the